Now, the Jacob stories play out these themes even more dramatically. From birth, Jacob lives up to the meaning of his name, which is deceiver. He cheats his brother Esau out of his inheritance and blessing, and he does it by deceiving his old blind father, no less, and then he just takes off. He goes on to take four wives, even though he really only loves one, Rachel, and this creates all of these rivalries in the family. The only thing that humbles Jacob is being deceived by his uncle Laban, who cheats him out of years of his life. The tables have finally turned. And so it's a humbled Jacob that returns to his homeland. And in a very strange story, Jacob ends up wrestling with God as he demands that God bless him. Some things never really change, do they? However, God honors his determination and he passes Abraham's blessing on to him. And he renames Jacob as Israel, which means wrestles with God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us who are gathered here. <clears throat> Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> What's the first thing you do when you're afraid. We'll just keep going. Not just like when you're nervous about something or when you're a little bit worried about what might happen tomorrow, but like truly terrified, so anxious that your fear is consuming every thought. What do you do? Think about the last time you were so anxious that you couldn't think straight. All your thoughts were consumed by your fear, and you have no idea what you're going to do. Did you just like start scrabbling for every possible solution you could think of? Do you, do you like sell your soul for the promise of security, right? I think of people who take out loans to, that they can't pay back to cover an immediate expense. There's examples of that in the Bible, by the way. King Ahaz gives away the kingdom to Assyria when he's afraid his, his rule is going to be threatened. Or do you run from the problem and pretend it's not there? <clears throat> My wife and I have very different approaches to dealing with anxiety and fear. She likes to confront it head on and deal with whatever it is that's causing her fear. I'm a runner. <laughs> not physically, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> That's not for me. But, when I, but I deal with my anxiety and my fear by running from the problem, procrastinating, pretending I'll deal with it later. And this may or may not have been the cause of multiple fights in our marriage. Um, but I'm in good company because Jacob is a runner too. What we all have in common is that when we're afraid, we resist. We resist God in our fear. We cling to our fear. We have our own ideas about how to deal with the things that we are afraid of, but they aren't usually good ideas. When we're afraid, we resist. And when we resist, sometimes God has to wrestle us. So we're reading, in, uh, what we're doing throughout this season of Advent is we're looking at Jesus' background, at his roots, at his family history, and the story that brings us to Christmas morning. And today we're looking at one of his ancestors in Genesis 32, verses 22 through 24, and then verse 28. 
The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And then skipping ahead. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jacob just wants to start his life. At this point, he has run from his birth family after he wrongfully stole his brother's inheritance and his blessing. He's run from his father-in-law because he's tired of working for him and wants to start his life with his family. And now he won't be able to run anymore. He's come to a point where he has to confront his past. God is not going to let him avoid it any longer. And he also probably won't, literally won't be able to run anymore because his hip gets disjointed. But that's a different problem. He still tries his own solution, by the way. That chapter opens with Jacob sending all his livestock and all his wealth ahead with messengers to his brother Esau saying, Here, take all my stuff and please don't kill me. He tries to appease his brother to make amends for what he stole. And he's still absolutely, utterly terrified of what's going to happen when he finally meets his brother again. And in that fear, God meets him, and they wrestle all night long. So God comes to him in the form of a man and wrestles with him and strikes his hip to give him a physical reminder of this night that he's going to carry with him for the rest of his life. And then God gives him a new name, Israel, meaning he struggles with God. So his name is changed from Jacob, he deceives, to Israel, he struggles with God. Why? Because God knew that from this point forward, his entire character would be changed. That moment would define him, and he would no longer be the deceiver. He really would be he who struggles with God. He needed that night of wrestling. He needed to struggle with God all night long to become the man God knew he could be. And he continues on his journey with a changed name, limping on a broken hip, no longer the deceiver. Now he's the God wrestler. He had to wrestle with God to struggle all night long with all his might, suffer a lifelong injury to become the man God called him to be. And there is a reason that God's people would forever bear his name after that. Israel, the people who wrestle with God. And if you read the Old Testament, you know it's a really good name for them because they do it nonstop. Our struggles individually as families, as churches, as the body of Christ, they are the moments that make us who we are. They refine us into the people God is calling us to be. And it is specifically our willingness to wrestle with God that shapes us into holy people. We'll never grow if we run from our problems or if we just try and solve them ourselves. We have to have these Israel moments. 
painful wrestling with God that demands all of our strength, all of our attention, and leaves us permanently changed as a result. It's this kind of wrestling that pushes us to our limits. It requires all of our strength, but it doesn't break us. You don't build muscle and strength by lifting weights you can lift easily, right? If you want to get stronger, if you want to put on muscle, you lift weights you can barely lift. You push yourself to your limits and you create strength that wasn't there previously. If you want to get physically strong, you have to be willing to exert yourself in ways you're not used to. that require all of your energy and all of your strength, and you have to keep doing it and keep making it harder and harder on yourself. And it's the same with our character. It's the same with our discipleship. You'll never grow. You'll never be a better man or woman, never be a better disciple, never be a better witness to the gospel, never a better representative of Christ on earth, never a brighter light in the darkness if you aren't wrestling with God, if you aren't pushing yourself to the limit in your faith. And you have to keep doing it. You never hit a point where you've just made it as a Christian and you're done. It doesn't work like that. Jesus comes to us from a people who wrestle with God constantly. Jacob wrestled with God and he wrestled with people, not physically but in other ways. From day one, he's a manipulator. Someone who would do whatever it took to get what he wanted. And he always got his way, but that meant he was always struggling with someone. Wrestling is all about resistance. You exert resistance against your opponent until you either get your way or you end up at their mercy. And Jacob gets his way every time until he wrestles with God. And of course, God could have wiped the floor with him, right? God could have pinned him instantly. God could have squashed him like a bug, but that's not his purpose here. He wrestles with Jacob all night long. He lets Jacob feel like he's winning. And just when Jacob thinks he's about to win, God pops his hip out of joint. It's kind of a cheater's move a little bit. I mean, you know. No one ever said God fights fair. Jacob wrestles with God, and he comes away with a permanent limp. Wrestling with God might give us a limp. It might wound us. But those wounds are just reminders of the humility we've learned. Jesus comes to us from a people who wrestle with God and who change as a result. We should take a lot of hope in the fact that God names his chosen people those who wrestle with me. The Bible's full of stories in which God allows his people to wrestle with him, to challenge him, to call into question his commitment to his people. And then he leads them to a place of humility in the process. And that place is where we repent and turn back to God. Praise God, we get to change. We get second chances and third chances and fourth chances and 70 times 70 chances. There are no last chances. Jesus meets us in our resistance. He wrestles with us until all our energy is spent and we can stand no more. And in that moment, he empowers us through the Holy Spirit to change and become holy as he is holy. The family story of Jesus is the story of a people who are constantly resisting God, constantly wrestling with him, and constantly being brought 
to a place of repentance and transformation. God's people fall and get up, fall and get up, fall and get up, over and over and over again. He comes to us from a people who change, and he reveals to us the grace of God that gives us the humility that we need in order to change. It might take several wrestling matches to get there, but we can become like Christ because he empowers us to do so. And ultimately, the Christmas story is the story of God taking extra steps to make this all possible. He comes to us as one of us, as an infant who will grow into a man. All along the way, he's going to experience all the pains and all the joys of human life. He knows all our sufferings and all our struggles from firsthand experience. Even when you're just upset with your acne as a teenager, Jesus had it too. It's fine. And he offers us all a transformation by the power of the same Holy Spirit that filled him so that we can be like him. Jacob had a dark past. And he had a dark present. He was a liar, a manipulator. He was a thief. He betrayed his entire family and then abandoned them. And he's full of fear. It's consuming him. And so he resisted God and wrestled with him until the break of dawn. But his past was not his future. And for everyone who will humble themselves before God, our past is not our future. We can be transformed, not just once, but continuously throughout our lives, going from glory into glory, becoming more and more like Jesus. Not because we can, but because he can. It's not about our own strength. It's about what he can do in us and through us. The people Jesus comes from, his family, are a family of people whose story is full of faith and fear. Their entire journey with God, from Genesis through to Revelation, it veers back and forth between faith and fear, and it never seems to just settle in one of them. Sometimes they have faith one day, and the very next day they are filled with fear. Jesus' family the bloodlines he comes from, the people who raised him, equal parts, faithfulness and faithlessness. Jesus is very familiar with a heart that stumbles in its journey. When we were faithless, we were in good company. Jesus came from a people who knew faithlessness. When we're afraid, we're in good company. Jesus came from a people who knew fear. It's not about eliminating faithlessness or being perfectly without fear. It's about seeing where the love of Jesus has met you in your fear, has met you in your faithfulness, and dissolved the power of that fear. It's about finding those places in your life where you are still holding on to fear and surrendering those places to Jesus without resistance. And it's about reflecting on those places where you have already wrestled with Jesus in the past year. Where has he had to humble you? How have you already been wrestling with him? I mean, I want you to really ask yourselves those questions this week. Think about how Jesus has already transformed you. Even just in the last 12 months, how are you different now than you were this time last year because Jesus has been at work in you and through you? And then take a good hard look at yourself. 
figure out where you are still clinging to fear in your life. And surrender that over to Jesus before he has to wrestle it out of you. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.